0: And so I think those three areas are the thing that stand in the way. Beliefs, knowledge, and actions. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
1: Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, episode 144. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? We just had a few interviews here.
2: Yeah, no, we c-
1: continue to get uh, some new guests
2: and some new professions, new states. We're what, midsummer here. I think things are trucking along. You know, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, but I think some things are starting to get a little bit better. You know, we had an interview with a guy uh, recently in New Zealand and they're pretty much back to normal. We'll be releasing that episode later this year, but, you know, it, it's been a crazy time. And I think, you know, as we've talked with, uh, m- you know, some of these millionaires about their portfolios in the last few months, it's been kind of ins- insightful for us to, to discuss that with them. What's changed, what they did differently, if they did anything differently. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great little uh, few months for us.
1: Yeah, totally. So today we we just had an interview with a female nurse. She she was a great uh, episode. Had a net worth of about six hundred and fifty. So well on her way. Also just interviewed a guy whose whose father tragically or, or sadly right passed away when he was just thirty, and he inherited. It some money and he's just got a, a really great perspective right it took a year after he got the money to say hey what should i do with this mm-hmm. right i mean i don't want to go blow it all i don't want to go put it in the wrong place so what should i do with it so some really cool uh really great interviews coming up and and i mean on the side note something we were talking about earlier is and and that's come up frequently i guess i well, I mean, just backtrack a little bit. Another guy that we interviewed uh, recently has a net worth of over six, and he has what over two million dollars in his four hundred one k right? Yeah, it's nearly three million. Yeah, two point nine, right? And so, you know, you found this article on CNBC that talks about the the four hundred one ks and how much money people need. And if you scroll down, this is just on CNBC. It's titled "For Most Americans, One Point Seven Million Is the Magic Retirement Number." But if you scroll down it has average 401k balance by age and and this guy's 59 right 58 59 I think he just retired 57 right he just retired 2.9 million in his 401k the average 401k balance for ages 50 to 59 is 174,000 so pretty amazing average 401k balance for 20 to 29 is is just shy of 12,000 30 to 39 42,000 40 to 49, a hundred grand and over 60, 195. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting article, right? And I think that's a question that is being talked about more often, but previously the question of, Hey, how much do I need to retire? You know, I think that was hard for a lot of people and, and probably still is to find an answer to that.
2: Yeah. You know, you bring up a great point point and trying to figure out how much to have, when to retire, you know, we've got this whole movement of retire early, uh, you know, that's going on and, and maybe this pandemic's pushed some of that back for some people. But, you know, you mentioned that article and I also came across another one on, on Bloomberg this week that talks about, you know, 401k plans no may, no longer make so much sense. And it went back into the history of when the, the the 401k, you know, became available and what the federal marginal tax rates looked like back then, the capital gains rates and, you know, likely retirement brackets and everything else. And where the interest rates were around, which is really shocking. I mean, 1980, they were around 15%. Today, we're like near zero. And, you know, the the whole premise of the article is that it doesn't make as much sense. You know, back then, tax deferral, you basically got an equivalent of almost a 9% return just by deferring, you know, some of that income. Whereas today, it's a whole different story. So, uh, you know, I think these articles are great and, and they paint pictures you know for us to 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 think about i think back to the the one you just mentioned that millionaire we just mentioned and and the guy's you know he just retired he's in his 50s he's got a very well diversified portfolio worked a corporate job you know for majority of his life and it's pretty remarkable to look at his portfolio somebody who's gone through it all and and look at the diversification and the options he has in terms of taking his income and how he takes his income you know the more and more millionaires that, that we interview I, I think a lot of them are, are you know are on that track and as we get closer to those ones that are you know at the 50s and 60s we'll see that for the most part a lot of them have some sort of diversification even if it's in one asset class you know the the guy in New Zealand's in Primarily been in, in all sorts of different asset classes uh, over his career, and these other ones that we have coming up, many of them will will be in one one to two asset classes for the most part, but they'll they'll start to expand their portfolio over time.
1: Yeah, exactly, and even even some of the people that we've talked to that are in real estate heavily or a hundred percent, right? They say, hey. I own real estate, all types of real estate, first of all, right, whether it's single family, multi, and then in different locations. And they're like it's not fair to say I'm not diversified, right? Because every market's different. So anyway, just a a, a fun thing, if if I think we've talked about this on the show before, Jace, but one thing I know we've both done in in to kind of back into our number of how much we need, we both sat down and said, "Okay, if I was doing everything I knew, I wanted to, right? How much do I need?" So how often am I going to buy a new car or my, is my house paid off? How much am I going to spend on food? How much am I going to spend on golf? How much am I going to spend on travel? How much am I going to spend on vacations? How much am I going to spend taking my kids on vacations or whatever it is, right? If you go through and make that list, you come up with a number and you know it, took, it takes you f- 20 minutes, right? 15 minutes to, to think through things and in, in property taxes and everything. And then from there you say okay, right? I need 50,000. I need 100,000. I need 300,000. Whatever it is, and then you you can back into how do you want to get there? And I think that's a good exercise especially if you're trying to build streams of passive income, right? Then you know exactly how much you need to live the life you want to live.
2: Yeah, and just while we're on the, on the topic, you and I went through this exercise what, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago and trying to build this and I and I, I think for me it changes every year even though I went and did it, you know, at my 30 years old have another kid and my portfolio adjusts and I, I look out and working backwards like it changed. Did did it change for you at all when you when you think about yours were you still pretty sick? Yeah, up?
1: we just no, we just did it. So my wife and I were driving this last weekend and, and we just did it. She hadn't done it before and so we just talked through it and it's interesting. And yeah, I mean it could go up, right? If you have kids, but mine went down a little bit because I'm like I, I don't you know, the the lavish things I think I wanted, I don't I don't need it. You know? After a while you start to see, look, I value the time and the flexibility more than I do the money. Yeah. You know? So I think as as we learn and we grow, we start to change a little bit. Right. And and certainly we do as we talk to all these millionaires and the common thing is i want time i want flexibility i want freedom to do what i want to do when i want to do it mm-hmm. right so that it changed it, ch- it came down a little bit for me and who knows maybe it'll go back up when i get my pilot's license that my wife won't let me get but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so we got we got a fun uh interview this week uh with chris hogan so guest interview today, he has graciously given, uh, given us three copies of his book. So two copies of his new book, Everyday Millionaires, and one copy of Retire Inspired. So if you want to enter the drawing for that, just shoot us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'll just pick uh, people at random after after the first week, of the week or so of this episode going out. So again, Chris Hogan, that's two copies of Everyday Millionaires, one copy of His first book, "Retire Inspired." So, just shoot us an email if you want to enter that giveaway, and we'll mail them out to you. So, great interview with Chris. We we talked to him about insurance. We talked to him about the mutual fund categories that he and Dave Ramsey recommend. So, really good to have Chris back on the show. He was he was on what Jay's two years ago ish, maybe almost now. So
2: yeah, it's been a while.
1: Yeah, fun to have him back on last episode. If yeah, last week's episode. If you missed that, one forty three, we had Randy. One of the most interesting things is he said he bought Tesla at 34 bucks, and he bought Apple as a young kid. So he's been able to really uh, grow those holdings and, and also invest in some real estate along the way. So great interview last week, great interview with this week with Chris and some fun interviews coming up. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on, on any platform that you listen to. It helps us grow the show and reach new interviewees. So without any further today, please help me welcome Chris to the show.
0: Chris, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Good to be back with you.
1: Hey, appreciate you coming on
0: again. So last
2: time we had you on, your book had just launched. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about the book tour and all the people that you got to meet going on that tour.
0: Man, I can tell you this. We did a uh, almost a four-week book tour uh, all around the country. We started up in New York and finished out in California. Uh, it was absolutely amazing to get out to see people in the book signings and to meet people uh, and to spread the message. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work. It felt like Groundhog Day, where you wake up and you do radio, you do TV, you do signings, you do events. Uh, but I tell you, it was an absolute blast.
2: Totally. So millionaire, we talk about it on our show. You wrote a book about it. Your study consisted of over 10,000 millionaires. You talk about retirement being a financial number. I know you had the retirement quotient calculator. We always talk about, is 1 million enough anymore? What's your take on that?
0: Well, I mean, if you're following my plan, a million dollars should be more than enough. Right, but it depends on where people are, are are financially and what their goals are and what lifestyle looks like. So you all know I'm allergic to debt. So I want people to get themselves out of debt, have an emergency fund, and be investing and in having that money continue to grow. Uh, but is a million enough? It depends. You know, I'm talking to some people that want to travel, you know, a couple of times a month abroad, uh, versus someone that might want to, you know, travel once a quarter. So it depends on lifestyle. And I think the goal is, as we all know, is not to just get to a million, but to keep investing and growing that money.
2: Totally. So what do you think holds people back from getting to that point where they're able to kind of take advantage of compounded interest and, and investing and to grow? you know, that that portfolio, if you will, that they're able to get to that point where they can retire and maybe travel twice a month.
0: Yeah. Well I think there's three things holding people back, to be honest. Uh, those three things are beliefs, knowledge, and actions. Uh, the belief side is really believing that you can do this, right? And I can remember growing up in Kentucky, you know, little country boy. I, I didn't know millionaires. I didn't know what that was. I thought you had to be a pro athlete, an entertainer, or someone to be able to reach that status. But then regardless of where you grew up or where you went to school, believing that you can do it. The next one is knowledge. And this is where we have to grow our knowledge about money. There's so many nuances out there. There There's so many terms and so many things we have to be learning consistently. And then finally, actions, the things that we end up doing. Are we budgeting? Are we are we attacking debt? Are we saving and are we investing? And so I think those three areas are the thing that stand in the way. Beliefs, knowledge and actions.
1: Yeah, it's a good answer. And of all the people that we've interviewed, the millionaires, we've interviewed about 150 millionaires now are heavy on education and and personal development and learning, right? Even the people that are worth a hundred million, we had a guy on worth a hundred, he's, he's pushing himself to learn. Right. And so it's, it's something we're seeing from all of our guests, regardless of if they're at 500,000, a million or a hundred million, that's something that's. I
0: mean, and I can tell you guys this, so that, you know, the, the, I've talked to several billionaires and they're cut from the same cloth. And so there's something to the mindset of wanting to grow, wanting to learn, but also being aware. I think too oftentimes in our society, we try to complicate the simple right we want to make things sophisticated and make things more complicated than they need to be and if you've ever read the book the tortoise and the hare right the tortoise wins and because the hare gets distracted gets off the plan starts trying to do nine different other things where the tortoise is just focused and steady and so i think there's a lesson inside of that kid story for us even as adults
1: yeah totally agree and and we should have mentioned at the beginning of the show chris was kind enough to provide two copies of his his new book everyday millionaires and then one retire inspired so if you listen to the intro, you did listen to the intro for this show, then then you know how to, to entry for those. So Chris, thanks again for, for donating those. You're very welcome. So you mentioned debt, right? I want to ask you about real estate debt, right? Because I know Dave, and, and I'm sure you are too big on not taking out debt for real estate, right? Dave always says, hey, if you're going to buy real estate, buy it in cash. Is real estate bad debt? Is that what you recommend? What if somebody wants to you know, if they're living in a house and they want to turn their primary residence into a rental, do you, is that something, should they do that? Is it bad debt?
0: Well, you know, the only time you'll hear me or Dave talk about it being okay to take on debt is for a mortgage. And even inside of that, we tell people a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage for your primary residence. Uh, but, you know, guys, listen, I've gone to grad school. I've heard the terms OPM, other people's money, the topic of leveraging, right, using other people's money to do this and that. And what I've learned throughout my years of doing stupid with money is that debt brings risk. And in the middle of this COVID-19 thing that we're all experiencing right now, risk is something that people are feeling the crunch of. And so because of this, Even for real estate, even for business, I'm going to tell people you got to see debt for what it is. An interest that you pay is a penalty. Interest that you earn is a reward. When you use someone else's money, you're charged a penalty called interest. And so people will try to debate with me, you know, about using debt for investing and all these things. And I'm okay with them being wrong. (laughs) I really am. Because the reality is, is debt brings risk. Now, I've got friends, I've got people that I know that I'm close to that will use debt. Uh, they are, you know, they're juggling and doing that. But I'm gonna tell you the crunch right now during the COVID-19 has really shown what I know to be true, and is that debt is a threat. It's a threat to your mental peace, it's a threat to your relationships, it's a threat to your just overall well being. So I encourage people to stay allergic to it even for an investment property, save up, pay cash. I know it's slower. I know it's going to take longer, but I know there's no risk involved because here's the deal, fellas. I've never heard of a foreclosure on a paid for piece of property, right? You never hear of that. And so it's all about a mindset and being clear on your mission and your goal.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're definitely taking some risk, right? You're borrowing money. So that's totally with you there. And we've had people, I mean, Jay's correct me if I'm wrong. I think five or so people that were primarily invested in real estate who lost it all in 2008 and yep. 2009, you know, uh, and okay, the ones we've talked to have been able to build it up, but you know, there's plenty out there that have not
0: Oh yeah. And here's the thing, you know, I've talked to many, I've coached probably close to forty, fifty thousand 50,000 people in my career, people that have started off with debt and then they see it for what it is. And they've been intentional about trying to whittle it down and pay it off. And to me, that's the way to go. Um, You know, I don't want people listening to your show thinking, oh, my gosh, I've taken on this debt for this investment property. There's no fix for me. No, that's not true. But seeing it for what it is and understanding that all it does, debt just takes It requires a payment. It doesn't care if your family gets sick. It doesn't care about the economy. It doesn't even care about the COVID. Debt wants its payment. And so I want people to see that for what it is and really start to get intentional on paying it down and then eventually paying it off. Because there's no better feeling than a paid-for piece of real estate.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk COVID. You mentioned COVID here. And, and you guys are big, right? Three to six months of emergency fund.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that enough now? I mean, during COVID, if somebody had just three months, I mean, now they're getting the stimulus checks, right? And then and you have the 1200 You have the unemployment if you lost a job or got furloughed. But yeah. is, is, should they have
0: more now, three to six months? Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, this COVID-19 has thrown a shock into everything. Um, and I've heard the most awakening about having an emergency fund. People that said, you know, I didn't have it and now I get it. Now I see the, the, the benefit of that versus the people that have had it in place, whether it was a three or six month emergency fund. If you had that in place as we sit here on like month three and a half of this situation, you're okay. It doesn't mean you're not stressed and you're not worried about someone else's health or your family's health, but financially your world hasn't been rocked. And if you didn't have it, what you felt is the severe crunch. So I'm going to stand beside what we've been teaching people for years. I think three to six is good. I think anytime you have someone that's self-employed or has volatile income, a six month is a safer bet. Uh, just because you do have those peaks and valleys and things that can happen. But I don't want people to go overboard. I don't think you should have a, a 12-month emergency fund. And I say that because I know full well uh, people you know have consumer debt in their lives. So I want them to to get out of debt, attack debt, and then start to build up the emergency fund.
1: Yeah, that's a good answer. So I was looking – you know, another piece of this, and Jason and I were talking is in retirement, Jason asked, right, is a million dollars enough? But then also, you know, you often hear, hey, I'm going to have Social Security when I retire, right? And and so I was looking on your site just before this, and you have this Everyday Millionaires Investing Guide, right? You can get it at ChrisHogan360.com. And you have this this blurb halfway through. It says "Because Social Security won't replace your income, right? And, and you say the average benefit is about $1,300 a month or $16,000 a year. So even if it's there, which we can discuss if it will be there for millennials, right? It's still not probably going to be enough.
0: Oh, it's not. And I'm going to tell you guys something. That was probably the beginning of the wake-up call for me as I was coaching people in 2011 and 2012. So many people were telling me that Social Security was going to save the day. And I'm looking at them, and I'm going, wait a minute. like you, You know you pay into it, and you get out a portion of that, right? And right now, that payout is typically – it's below the poverty line. And so, if that's all you're going to be relying on, it 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 alarmed me because you've got the typical mortgage payment hovering around eleven hundred a month, the typical new car payments five hundred seventy five dollars a month, and the typical used car payments around four fifty. So I'm looking at this and looking at the average Social Security payout, going if you are normal right now in the United States with a mortgage, a car payment, and credit card payments, Social Security is not going to pay all that. And so I wanted people to hear that. So here's my thought. I've done research and I read up on it. And Social Security is to become insolvent around 2034, 2033 is the prediction right now. I'm telling people, number one, don't count on it. Like I I call it in my first book, Retire Inspired. It can be the icing on the cake. But please, for the sake of your financial future, don't let it be the cake, the only thing you're relying on, because there's no doubt. That it, it could not be there, regardless of what you paid into it. So I want people to prepare for themselves. You know, I, I, I know this. The government can't count. OK, you guys know it as well as I do. They don't know how to count. That's why our deficit is where it is. And they'll continue to do these things that don't make sense because they don't know how to plan. They don't know how to say no to things. And so we've got to be prepared for ourselves, each and every one of our households having a a savings plan, an investing plan, and a plan for our future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With you there. So you mentioned retire-inspired. And one of the things that stood out to us of all those that have either A, retired early or B, retired, I guess, later, if you want to call it that right, is healthcare how do people go about it and and maybe you've written about your book and I can't remember if we asked you about this last time but i mean it's a real concern for people that retire right is the cost of healthcare and knowing where it's going to be in the future what, what's your thoughts there
0: yeah the healthcare is the wild card Uh, to be honest, and not knowing the direction we're going or what's going to be available. So I'm encouraging people to sit down with an insurance professional, have that discussion, understand the benefits that you have available to you at the current job that you're on, but start to think about what does that look like as you get toward retirement? Are you looking at a COBRA situation, which can be expensive? uh, But there are other plans out there that you can do as well. But I'm encouraging people to do the wellness checkups right now like we gotta be as intentional about our health as we need to be with our money. And so, taking advantage of those checkups, being intentional about follow-up appointments. Uh, but healthcare is a wild card, and I think you know the best thing you could do is to get yourself to a debt-free standpoint. Have some money invested, so hopefully you're able to cash flow some of those expenses, and then at the same time, but at 59 and a half, please get long-term care insurance in place. Uh, this is something that can be extremely expensive once you get into your 60s, and it can eat through a nest egg if you were to become incapacitated or needed assisted living. And so this is a matter of just having our eyes wide open and understanding there are a lot of question marks and some things we can't control, but we can control how we invest. We can control about being intentional with our money right now.
1: Yeah. And then one, one follow-up to that insurance, disability insurance. I know this is a little bit outside of what we're talking about on the show, but when you look at it, it's really expensive, right? How, should someone have it? And how much? Because it's it's uber expensive compared to life insurance.
0: Yeah, it can be very expensive. And as you look at it, the long-term disability is the thing that I advise people to look at. Uh, the short-term disability, not so much, because if you have the emergency fund of three to six months of expenses, then you can have that covered. But the long-term is something you definitely want to look at, whether you have that with your employer or getting it outside of there uh, just to make sure you're protected. But in the book, Retire Inspired, I talk about it's important to play offense as well as defense the offense is budgeting and, and investing and being intentional the defensive side is the insurances life insurance telling people to have 10 to 12 times your annual income in in life insurance coverage and if you have a spouse uh, that's working inside the home making sure you have coverage on them as well but as well as the disability as well as so on and so forth the, the health the life insurance the automobile homeowners These things are really important. And so if you've got questions on that, go to my website, chrishogan360.com. I've got several articles in there talking about the insurance coverages you need.
2: Chris, while we're on this subject talking about insurances and playing offense and defense, does somebody need an HSA? And how do they maybe utilize an HSA, whether invested or not, if they're not utilizing those dollars and spending it every year? Can that be something that they use for for their long-term health care plan?
0: They sure can. Now, an HSA is a health savings account. So what it allows you to do is to really be able to put money aside, uh, to be able to pay for, for your health needs now. But it also allows you an opportunity to be able to build up those funds for later. And so if this is something that's offered through your company, I want you to talk to your benefits provider. Again, it's an HSA, which is a health savings account and really sit down and talk about that, the benefits of it and how to go about it. But it can be a, a, it can be an additional tool to help you build up money for the future. How does that fit into the baby steps that,
2: that y'all teach there at Ramsey
0: Solutions? Well, I mean, we, you know, in the baby steps, we tend to talk about the seven steps you need to take to get yourself to a position of being financially independent. The insurances are, are just the wills. There are a few things you want to get done at the front end, uh, meaning you want to make sure that you've got health insurance. You want to make sure you have life insurance. We encourage people to get term life insurance, 10 to 12 times your income. And I want you to get that outside of your job, okay, because if you lose or leave that job, then you could lose your, your life insurance. So get that outside of your job. Uh, that way you've got that taken care of, and you've got to have a will. Uh, the will is to make sure that you are the person in charge of your financial future and a state, not leaving it up to the state to make a decision. Uh, almost 75% of Americans don't have a will. So that means if they die without a will, it's called dying in test state right? That's a $20 word. The bottom line is the state, your local state will make a decision about your stuff. So get a will in place, make sure you get health insurance in place. And please, please, please get life insurance in place as soon as possible.
2: And if somebody's working through baby steps, getting out of debt, do you encourage them to still contribute to an HSA along that journey or get out of debt first? Or where does that kind of fit?
0: Well again that's the the HSA that's a good question even if someone's working through baby step 2 trying to attack debt the HSA this is your health insurance coverage so this is something you're going to get in place and have that uh you're going to have money t- deducted from your check just like you would for a standard health plan each and every month uh so at the HSA would be something that would be at the top of the list to get it done if it's available to you uh because we're not calling it an investment it's primarily insurance
2: and do you encourage people as that balance grows to invest it in the market for for long term planning, or do you just keep that in cash?
0: Yeah, I I think you know definitely as you get to end of year and it's not money that you've used for your 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 health or used for your family, then you've got an opportunity to be able to invest that, which is a great option.
2: Awesome. So let let's talk a little bit more, you know, here and now with. What, what the pandemic and people are facing. If somebody's furloughed or if they're worried about losing their job, what are some things and action items that they can take right now financially to kind of maybe secure themselves, you know, for what might take place in the future here?
0: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we've had a lot of people that have been furloughed or have lost their jobs. And if you are one of those people and you're worried about that happening, a couple of action steps I'd encourage you to do. Uh, first and foremost is talk to your employer. Uh, let's have a direct conversation about your job and the stability of your job so you can know what you're dealing with you know fear is a real thing uh but fretting over something where we could have a conversation to find out is is it's wasted energy so have a conversation find out about your position and if it is something that is is on the on the edge that might be lost i would encourage you to go into conserve mode immediately uh, this is something I've been talking about over the last few months. And conserve mode needs. I'm going to cut out all unnecessary spending. I'm going to be very intentional with my budget. I'm going to cut out unnecessary subscriptions. Uh, the gym memberships, the gyms that aren't open, shut that down. That's money that's saved. I'm going to not buy food unnecessarily and eat the food that I have in my pantry and begin to meal plan. But I want to be really, really smart about it. And that's where you start to really protect that what you have. And if it's someone that has lost their job or been furloughed, you're not able to work the baby steps right now. Right now, what you're doing is going in conserve and protect mode, which means you're going to pile up every extra dollar you can right now until you secure another job. And then once your income is stable, then you can go back to working the baby steps. So, we just want to be really intentional right now and be very smart. Um, if you are hearing that you're going to be furloughed, you need to reach out to your peers, uh, coworkers, uh, or friends, and let them know that, hey, I'm going to be looking for employment. And, you know, Ken Coleman, one of my friends here, uh, he's got the Ken Coleman Show, and he's really been digging into this and helping people with their careers and with job changes right now. So, they can definitely tune into the Ken Coleman Show if they need more guidance there.
1: Yeah, and I think it's good to watch it even if you haven't been furloughed or maybe don't think you will, right? I mean, I've either seen on LinkedIn or talked to people who think, hey, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Something happens as a surprise. You know, maybe it's good to just build up the emergency fund from three to six if you can right now, just in case, right?
0: Listen to me. The emergency fund is no longer optional in my mind. Right. It is an absolute essential. And I don't care where you are financially, having that cushion between you and life. Right. is essential. Like, for example, I have a couple of friends that worked at Disney. This is Disney. Right. These guys were were upper level. They'd been there a while. They never dreamed that they would have been laid off or furloughed. And guess what? Even though they'd been there 10 years plus, they were laid off and furloughed right? And this is Disney. This is something you think is never going to close. And see, this is the kind of unexpected thing that the emergency fund can be there for. Now, my friends will go back to work eventually. But hey, in the middle of that layoff or that furlough, you still have bills to pay, kids to feed, and things to do. So don't put your life at risk financially by not having this emergency fund. It's a wake-up call, and you have to have it.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. You you start thinking you work for a big company and
0: you're safe, right? Yeah, and, and it's a false sense of security. Yeah. I, I just, you know, and this has been the biggest awakening, I'm going to tell you guys, and all the media that I do, you know, talking about that emergency fund and helping people see that, uh, this uh, that could be a really an awakening coming out of all this COVID where people begin to have more of that nest egg for themselves for the future.
1: Yeah, so we're running out of time here, Chris, but I, I just want to ask you one thing. I'm going to push you a little bit here. So, you, you guys, the four mutual funds invest, right? Growth or four mutual fund categories, growth, growth and income, aggressive growth and international. As I look at international, right? I, I looked at it since like 97, it's a 4% return, right? And I look at that and I'm like, I don't want 25%. I mean, do I think there's years that it can beat it? Of course, right? Of course there will be. But right. is international really going to beat a domestic return over the next 40 years?
0: You know what? That is a great question. And Dave and I have actually sat down and not only talked about it, we have dug into this and talked to a lot of investing professionals. And looking at the international, it has underperformed it really has. But when you begin to look at the other thing that you might use to replace that international fund, whether you're looking at a REIT, right, or or, or ETFs or things of that nature, what you end up doing is you start to think, okay, well, well, what is the the other potential downside? Like if I've got one thing underperforming and other things that are performing or overperforming, is there something better? And after really digging into that uh, and, and walking through it, the REITs aren't the way to go. We all know right now with the COVID-19 and the real estate situation on the on the commercial side where people are working different, that landscape could look a lot different over the next three to five years, right? And with ETFs, I mean they're cousin to a mutual fund. The problem is ETFs are traded daily like stocks. So you've got the expenses on it and, and the ratios that are are higher. So in the long run, what I what we came back to was looking at it and going, okay. What is the play of that, right? What is the goal of the international? It's not to be a quick hit. It's not a single stock. The goal is for it to be able to perform over a five year or more margin. And so we're looking at it and I agree with you. It has underperformed. No one's, no one is even doubting that. The key is, is the prediction is, is what is it going to do coming back now? And so as we become more and more of a global marketplace and we've right. seen. Uh, I, I think that there's a the potential for it to come back over the next four to five years.
1: Yeah, you have so many companies now that are so global, but then you have other ones, right? Airbus, Nestle, right? That's, Big companies that are global. But
0: still, guys, the beauty of it is the whole point is being diversified. So having growth, aggressive growth, You, what you're doing is I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, but I am watching this international basket going, you better start doing a little bit better. <laughs> shake you up a little bit.
1: Right, right, right. So just in closing... Closing here, Chris, tell us what you're up to now, maybe what you're excited about, where people can find you. Obviously, you have the website, the show Everyday Millionaires, the new book, but where can people get in contact with you?
0: Well, they can get in contact with me with, at ChrisHogan360.com. That's ChrisHogan360.com. And I'm having a blast right now with the Chris Hogan show and, you know, really working through some pivots right now. I can't get out and do speaking events right now, so really working on a lot of webinars. Uh, doing a lot of trainings for companies and individuals out there. So if people are interested, they can email me, ask at chrishogan360.com. We'd love to talk to them. Awesome,
1: Chris. Thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Everybody again, that's uh, Chris Hogan.
0: Thank you, my friend. It was good to be with you guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.